Good evening. Tonight is Thursday night, February 18th, 2021. Welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. It is wonderful to be together with you tonight, and I so much look forward to being able to study together with you tonight. This week's portion is the Parsha of Truma. So allow me to start with an insight I have mentioned before in different contexts, but it's an insight that has particular significance for us this year. Rabbi Sachs points out the parallels between our creation of the Mishkan, which begins with our Parsha and continues over five portions to come. The description of the Jewish people building the Mishkan, the portable sanctuary that traveled with them through the desert and into the land of Israel. The parallels between our creation of the Mishkan and God's creation of the world. Many parallels between the two episodes of creation. One major difference, and that is that while the narrative of God creating the world only takes up 34 verses at the beginning of Bereshus, the beginning of the Torah. Our creation of the Mishkan takes up hundreds of verses. And Rabbi Sachs points out that the Torah is highlighting for us that even more important than the world that God creates for us is the world we create for God. Our parsha begins by Yadaber Hashem al Moshe Lemar. God spoke to Moshe, saying the following words: Daber al Bnei Yisrael, speak to the children of Israel, the Yikhuli Truma, and take for me an offering. Gather together the different objects, the different materials that would be necessary to build this gigantic structure, the Mishka. The classic question and we've discussed this in the past, is the verb that is used, take for me. Well, it's not really taking, it's really giving. I mean, what God is telling the Jewish people to do is to give these gifts that will be used to build the Mishkan. Why does the Torah use the word take? The yikhuli, take for me. Bailey Newman reminds us of a classic children's storybook that you may know. It's called The Giving Tree. And the story of The Giving Tree is a simple story of a tree, an apple tree, that becomes friends with a little boy. And when the boy is little, the boy swings from her branches and eats her fruits, her apples, and climbs on the tree as the boy is playing. But then time passes and the boy grows and he begins to need things. And so whatever the boy needs, the tree gives him. She offers him the apples to sell so that he can earn a living. 
she gives him her branches to build a home in which he can live. And as the book ends, the boy has become an old man and he's looking for a quiet place to sit. The giving tree has given so much of herself that all that remains of her is a stump for her friend to sit on. Each time she gives, she literally loses part of herself. Giving has made her poor. And if we're honest, that is often how many of us see our giving. If we're honest, how often does it happen that someone asks us to do something and inside we just, again, something else, another request? How often does it happen that we ignore a call to volunteer? How often does it happen that we just delete a message asking for our help? How often does it happen that we simply avoid making eye contact with someone that we think they're going to ask us for something? How often does it happen that we say, I don't have time for this. If I help everybody, I've got nothing left for myself. Very often we too act like the giving tree. The Balhaturim, one of the classic commentators on the Torah, points out the word that we would have expected to see, the nasnu, to give, that Hebrew word is a palindrome. The letters can be read in either direction, beginning to end or end to beginning, they form the same word. Venasnu. And the Balaturim points out that the reason for this is that giving works both ways. Giving is a two-way street in the sense that the giver gives to the receiver and the receiver in receiving gives to the giver. The giver does not lose, the giver gains. When we give, we are the ones who receive. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> what God is saying to us at the beginning of our Parsha is that you, you and I, we, the Jewish people, we have been placed in this world in order to build a garden for God. And God is giving us the seed. The seed that will make our garden grow. The question, of course, is, will we be wise enough to take it? Because the truth is that we, like the giving tree, we have a lot to offer. But unlike the giving tree, when we give, we are changed. We are the ones who benefit. And that's why the Torah says, the yikhuli truma, take the offering. 
you're going to give it to me. But what you will receive in giving it is even greater than what the recipient will receive. In the 1920s in New York City, there was a very, very wealthy Jewish man. His name was Mr. Schiff. And it happened in the early 1920s that a great rabbi came from Israel to visit New York to collect funds for his yeshiva. And so, of course, he went to speak to this very wealthy American Jewish man. And Mr. Schiff gave this rabbi $25,000 to support his yeshiva. In the 1920s, $25,000 was money. It was a very generous gift. Then came 1929 and the financial crash and the depression. And Mr. Schiff lost almost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his real estate holdings. He had barely enough to live on. He had to move into a basement apartment of one of the apartment buildings that he used to own. The next year, the rabbi came again to collect funds for his yeshiva in Israel. And he heard what had happened to Mr. Schiff. And he had so much gratitude about how Mr. Schiff had been so generous when he was able to. And now he was not able to. So the rabbi came to Mr. Schiff and he said, we appreciate so much what you did for us in the past. This year, this year, we, our yeshiva in Israel, we would like to lend you $5,000 to help you. Mr. Schiff responded and said, I'm not going to take your $5,000. And I can't even understand why you would even offer to give me $5,000. He said, you know, I lost everything in the financial crash. I lost my portfolio. I lost my real estate. The only thing I have left in the world is the merit of the $25,000 that I gave you when I had it. And now you want to take part of that merit away by lending me some of it? Under no circumstances will I agree to that. Mr. Schiff understood that what he had given is truly the only thing that he had. Since March, we have had an energetic group making phone calls to stay in touch with people, particularly with people who are alone or who may need some help or who simply want someone to talk to. And we have volunteers that are bringing groceries and medicine and helping with errands. This group continues to work diligently. The need is so great. They are the jewel of Adath. And every one of these heroes has expressed to me that they are receiving more 
than they are giving. They are living examples of this Pasuk, the Yikuli Truma. In giving, they are receiving. Every one of us needs to learn from them and from the lesson of our Parsha, our Pasuk. The more you give now to others, the more you give of your time, your support, your attention, your generosity of spirit, the better you will emerge from COVID. Allow me to share an insight into Purim. On Yom Tov, every Jewish holiday, we say a prayer we call Hallel. We've discussed it before. Hallel is a prayer of praise and thanks to God for the miracles that God does for us. For taking us out of Egypt, for splitting the Red Sea, for the miracle of revealing himself at Mount Sinai, for protecting us in the desert. Even Hanukkah, the miracle of Hanukkah, we say Hallel every day, but not on Purim. There's no Hallel. We don't say the Hallel prayer on Purim. Why not? Why is Purim the only holiday that we do not say Hallel, this special prayer of praise and thanks? So the Talmud asked this question. And the Talmud says that the reading of the Megillah, reading Megillah's Esther, the book of Esther, is saying Hallel. Well, that's very strange because the book of Esther tells the story, but the book of Esther does not contain any praise of God. It does not contain any thanks to God. In fact, the word God is not even mentioned even once in the entire book. How could reading the Megillah be a form of saying Hallel? Doesn't seem to make sense. But I think the way to understand it is as follows. Purim is a holiday. It's a celebration of events that happened to Mordechai and Esther and Achashverosh and Haman. It's a story. It's an event. It's a celebration of an event. But Purim is much more than that. Because Purim is the transformation from one era of Jewish history to another very different era of Jewish history. And that transformation directly affects us today. Because Purim is not only at the crossroads of these two eras, Purim contains the lesson of how to adapt to this new reality in this new era. From the beginning of the Torah until Purim, which occurs just after the destruction of the first temple, the first base Amigdash, God acts in an open manner. 
open miracles. The flood at the time of Noah, destroying the inhabitants of Sodom, Exodus from Egypt, splitting of the Red Sea. When the Beis Hamikdash was built, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, the Talmud tells us every single day there were open, overt miracles. When a person would offer a sacrifice, a karban, and the sacrifice would be placed on the altar, a miracle would occur. A fire would come down from heaven and consume what was on the altar every single day. Open, overt miracles. And open, clear communication with God through the prophets whose most famous and most frequently repeated words are, Ko Omar Hashem, thus says God. People were able to know exactly what God was saying. Open, clear communication. Until Purim. The Talmud says, Esther menatora minayin. The story of Esther. What is the hint that could be found in the Torah referring to the story of Esther? Answers the Gemara, the frightening verse in Dvarim, Deuteronomy. Anochi aster haster panai bayomahu. On that day, God says, I will surely hide my face from you. God says, there's going to come a time when there's no more prophets, no more open miracles. God will hide his face from us. Now, God is just as active. God is just as involved, but hidden. You can read every single verse of the book of Esther. And each one by itself seems natural. It's a story. It happens the way it says. Only when you step back and you see the whole story, is it obvious that every detail quietly behind the scenes is orchestrated by God. No less than the splitting of the Red Sea. But in this case, God is hidden. And perhaps the strongest demonstration of this is the name itself, Purim. Why do we call this holiday Purim? Well, the book of Esther tells us. Ki Haman, Tzorer Kala Yehudim, Haman was the enemy of the Jewish people. He hated the Jewish people. He planned to try to destroy, God forbid, the entire Jewish people. And he cast a lottery. Pur is an Aramaic word or a Persian word. The Hebrew word is goral, a lottery. To decide which month and which day he would carry out his plan to destroy the entire Jewish people. Al Cain says the story. Therefore, Karula Yamim Ha'ele Purim Al Shem Hapur. 
The name of the holiday is Purim, which contains the word Pur, which means lottery. That's the reason for the name. It's a strange reason. Seems like a relatively minor detail of the story. How is it that that one detail that the way that put, that Haman decided which day he was going to carry out his plan was decided through a lottery, that that should become the name of the entire holiday? How does that seem appropriate? Listen, please, to an incredible verse in the book of Mishlei, in the book of Proverbs. Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, writes, Becheik yutal esagoro, pay close attention to a lottery. Umehashem kol mishpato, every decision comes from God. What does that mean? Explains the Malbim. Yesh dvarim, there are things that happen in the world that may appear on the surface to be coincidence. They actually occur directly from God. There's no such thing as coincidence. That's what we refer to as koach hagoro, the force of a lottery. It appears to be random, but nothing is random. Nothing is a coincidence. The result of the lottery is the decision of God. That's the story of Purim. That's the theme of Purim. That's the underlying narrative of the book of Esther. Ahasuerus is married to a woman, a queen named Vashti, and it happens that she upsets him and he kills her. Is that a coincidence? And all of a sudden he's looking for a new queen? Big Sun and Seresh are plotting to assassinate Ahasuerus and they're found out. Is that a coincidence? One night in the middle of the night, the king cannot sleep. And so he has his assistant read to him about those people who have helped him. Is it just a coincidence that that night in particular he couldn't sleep? And is it a coincidence that just at the moment in the middle of the night that the king can't sleep, Haman has come to ask Ahasuerus to hang Mordecai? At the moment that the king is reminded that Mordecai had saved his life, there are no coincidences. It's not overt. It's not an open miracle. But every single detail comes from God, even during this time when God is hidden. And you know who the first person to realize it is? The first person to realize what's going on in the Purim story is Zeresh, Haman's wife. When Haman is invited by Esther 
to a meal with just Ahasuerus and Haman and Esther, he comes home and he brags about his high position and the honor that he was given to be able to have this meal only with Ahasuerus and Esther. And Zeresh says to him at that moment, she says, Fatomelo Zeresh Ishto. Zeresh says, you're on top now. You're approved. Akashverosh thinks highly of you. Use this opportunity to hang Mordechai. Build a gallows, very, very high. And then you'll be able to kill Mordechai, to hang Mordechai. And you'll be able to go to the meal with Mordechai and Esther. Happy, fulfilled. You got rid of Mordechai. You'll get rid of the other Jews soon. It's all going to work out for you, she says to her husband, Haman. One day later, Haman comes home from that meal. And at that meal, something amazing happens. Esther says, I want to have another meal like this tomorrow. But Haman had gone to Ahasuerus to ask to hang Mordechai. But instead of that, Ahasuerus says, no, I want you to honor Mordechai. And Haman comes up and he says to his family and his friends what happened. And Zeresh says, you're trying now to get Mordechai? It's not going to work. These are not just coincidences that you just happen to be there to ask Ahasuerus that you should kill Mordechai, but Ahasuerus wants you to honor him. No, that's not a coincidence you are going to fall. Mordechai is going to triumph over you because what may have appeared to be coincidence, Zeresh sees. No, there's a plan here. There is an unknown actor. God is orchestrating this and you are going to fall. There's no coincidence. A plan is unfolding. And you, Haman, are going to be powerless to stop it. And the Purim story is about turning upside down. What was going to happen to the Jewish people ended up happening to the enemies of the Jewish people. The day that was going to be a day of mourning and sadness and destruction turned upside down to be a day of celebration and joy. But it's not visible. 
It's not open. It's hidden. Purim is the beginning of this era. And the name of Purim attests to the fact that God's orchestration will not take place behind the scenes. You have to look for it. And here we are, almost 2,400 years later, and we're in the same position. We too are now living, still, in this period of Hester Panim, God's face is hidden. But there are no coincidences. We may not always see it. We may not understand it. But there is a plan. That's the essence of Purim. Rabbi Yosef Kalatsky explains that on a regular Yom Tov, we say Hallel. We offer prayers of praise and thanks to God for the miracles that God does for us. When we read the Megillah, carefully, and we see the hand of God hidden, but still very, very active. That in itself is a praise of God in a hidden manner, appropriate to the way that God is acting. In other words, reading the Megillah is a hidden version of saying Hallel in keeping with the hidden version the theme of Purim. Just as what God does for us, He does in a manner that is hidden through Purim, through the lottery, through what appears to be coincidence, but it's really not. It is our expression of praise and gratitude to see God's hand, even though God's name is not mentioned. We are still living in this era, initiated by Purim. And this year, God is even more hidden than usual, which means that the lessons of Purim are even more important and applicable to us now than ever before. Rabbi Herzl Hefter points out, that there are three characteristics that emerge from the Purim story. The first that we've mentioned, God is hidden. This is now the first time and it becomes the defining feature from the time of Purim up until our own time. Another characteristic that comes from the story of Purim is that reality is uncertain. We are not sure what's going on. Mordechai says to Esther, Umi yodea, and who knows? Im la'es kazos he got lamalchus. Who knows if maybe the reason that you became the queen is to be in the position to intercede with Achashverosh at exactly this moment. Mi yodea, who knows? Who knows means it's uncertain. We don't know. And that also means that events are open to interpretation. We may not always understand what it is that we're seeing. In the words of one of the great Hasidic masters, known by the title of his work, Me Hashiloach, 
He lived in the early 1800s. He wrote, that which is not hidden does not require faith. Only that which is hidden requires faith. But there's more, one more lesson that Purim holds for us and for our era, especially this year, that is perhaps the most important. Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner explains the deeper significance of Purim with the following parable. Two individuals were given an assignment. Identify your friend in the dark of night. One was given a flashlight. The other was not given a flashlight. The one who was given the flashlight was easily able to identify his friend in the dark. The one who did not have a flashlight had a much more difficult time. He had to try to identify his friend by listening to the voice, by the sound of the walk. It's much harder to do. But in doing so, the individual without the flashlight developed a unique talent. By training his ears, he developed a special sensitivity to sound. The next morning, when the sun was shining, the first person turned his flashlight off. His special ability was gone. He had no particular ability now. The second person, however, had developed a talent to recognize people even when he could not see them. And that talent remained with him during the next day and the next and the next. Rabbi Micha Peltz explains this parable that the person with the flashlight represents our major holidays, Pesach, Shavuos, even Hanukkah, where there's an, a flashlight, an open miracle, splitting of the Red Sea. Purim represents the person without the flashlight. Much more difficult to figure out where we're going. The events of Purim are not overt miracles, but Purim teaches us to cultivate this skill, the ability to look for and recognize God's hand even when it is concealed, to attune ourselves to God's presence even in the darkness of all the holidays. The lesson of Purim is the most applicable to our lives today. And so, instead of seeing this era as poorer, we should try to see this time as a time when we are being given the opportunity to learn new skills, to recognizing God's presence and God's involvement, especially when it is not easily seen. That's an aspect of Purim that we really need to dwell on, especially this year. Finally, allow me to share with you 
a medical update. This is the COVID situation in our Jewish community as of today. I had the opportunity to meet with the representative of Montreal's Public Health Department. Yes, it is true that at this moment, the numbers of COVID infections, hospitalizations, deaths, the numbers are down. Thank God. I hope it continues. But the situation is so fragile. In our Jewish community of Westbury, Hampstead, and Cote St. Luke, there are currently 40 cases of COVID with the variant, the more virulent, easily spreadable form of COVID. 40 cases right now in our community, plus two outbreaks in our community of the regular COVID. And it has been definitively shown within our Jewish community. Reinfection. People who had COVID, who recovered and became infected and sick again. Right here in our community. Of course, public health investigates every case, especially with these variants now. And the investigations have been conclusive. There are two causes that have led to these 40 outbreaks. One is people coming back from New York and not observing the precautions that they're supposed to observe. And number two, people visiting in other people's homes in violation of the regulations. The doctor who addressed us today said, it makes me cry. How can we possibly control this when people continue to violate the regulations that are for us? They are to protect us. The big question, of course, is, will we see a rise over the next couple of weeks? Because 40 cases, and again, that's within the Jewish community in our neighborhood, 40. With the increase in the ability to transmit, God forbid, we are so close to seeing, God forbid, a tremendous spike upwards in the wrong direction. especially on Purim, we have to be very careful. And at the same time, there is positive news. Vaccines are coming. Yes, I know it's been so slow in Canada and there's so many complaints and problems, but it's coming now over the next number of weeks. We're going to see those numbers increasing. And I urge everyone, as I will do, to be vaccinated when it is our turn. But especially this Purim, we have to be so careful.
Sivan Rahav Meir suggests a unique way that we need to celebrate Purim this year, 5781, 2021. She writes, it appears to me that everyone should establish a personal Corona cabinet to meet and plan how this joyful holiday will not turn into tragedy, God forbid. I can tell you that here at Adath, we're spending all of our time figuring out how to do this, what to do, so that we can enjoy and celebrate Purim, but to stay safe. And she quotes Rabbi Ran Sarid, who wrote the following. The holiday of Purim symbolizes physical salvation from the verge of death to life. It does not seem to me that Mordechai, who wore sackcloth and ashes because of the fear that Jews would die, would want the holiday held on his and Esther's account to become a super spreader event. How could it be that a holiday that celebrates saving Jewish lives might, God forbid, turn into a holiday, God forbid, that would lead just to the opposite? The mitzvah to be joyful on Purim 5781 this year must be internal, not external. Purim this year obligates us to change our mindset to stop and consider not what we want to do, not what we're used to doing, not what we feel like doing, but rather what God wants us to do to celebrate Purim this year. And clearly, through the mitzvahs of the Torah, God wants us to preserve our health. And we have a way to do that. Now, this quote that I want to share with you is relevant every year. It's a quote from the Rambam Maimonides, but it is particularly important this year. You know what the essence of Purim is? Yes, I know what we all think is the essence of Purim. But do you know what is truly the essence of Purim? Writes the Rambam, Mutav la'adam laharbos b'matanas avyonim melaharbos b'sudosu b'shloach manus l'reyav. A person should spend more money and attention to the mitzvah of donating money to those who are in need more than all of the combined expenses of the celebrating and the meals and the gifts to our friends. All of those expenses together are less important and should receive less attention and less generosity than sharing what we have with those in need. Why? She'ein shem simcha gedola umufu'ara. There is no joy as great or beautiful as l'sameach lev ho'aniyim v'yesomim v'almanos as to be able to gladden the hearts of those who are in need. That is simcha. That is rejoicing. Shehamasameach because one who gladdens the hearts of someone who is in need, is compared to God. To God. 
You want to have the highest enjoyment on Purim this year? Share what you have with others who are in need. Listen to this story. <clears throat> this happened to me a number of years ago. I'll never forget it. One of the privileges in my life, I've mentioned this before, I've had the honor, the privilege to be a rabbinic resource to AA 12 steps meetings to people who are in recovery from addiction using the 12 steps programs and they go to meetings, AA meetings. And I have been invited numerous times to be the rabbinic resource, the rabbinic presence at these meetings. So my role is to go there and to speak and to try to uplift and inspire these individuals who are going through this process of being able to get off of addictions. The truth is, I learned so much more than whatever I taught at these meetings. One night I was at a meeting and a man spoke and he said as follows. He said, this week, I really feel so good physically, emotionally. My job is going well. I'm doing better with my wife and my children. And I was thinking to myself, why? Why is it that this week I'm doing so well? And I realized I feel so good tonight because this past week I concentrated on helping other people. I'll never forget that. I promise you, if you fulfill the mitzvahs of Purim safely, and if you put your greatest emphasis on the mitzvah of Matanos Levyonim and helping others, I promise you, it will be the best, most joyous Purim of your life. I wish you all a wonderful evening, a great Shabbos, and a happy and joyous Purim.